Hello and welcome to Macrobytes, the economics and politics podcast from Aberdeen. My name is Paul Diggle, Deputy Chief Economist at Aberdeen, and this is our final episode for 2022 and quite the year it has been in the global economy and financial markets. We've spoken about many of the themes uh, and drivers on the podcast over that time, inflation, monetary policy, recession risks, energy markets, political turmoil, COVID policy, climate change, cryptocurrencies. We've covered a lot of ground because there has been a lot happening. To do something slightly different in this final episode for the year, I've asked some of our economists here at Aberdeen to give a snapshot outline of the key question or key driver that they'll be watching in 2023 which they think is really going to drive the macro and market outlook. So I hope you enjoy the show. My name is Abigail Watt. I'm an economist in Aberdeen based out in Boston. And I think the biggest question for the US economy in 2023 is whether the US enters a recession. There's been a, a lot of debate for some time now around a hard landing versus a soft landing in the US economy. And we're landing on the side of, of a hard landing being most likely. And there's a few reasons why we think a soft landing is unlikely. The first is soft landings tend to be the exception and not the norm. It's very difficult for policymakers to perfectly calibrate policy to slow the economy enough to quell inflation without inducing a recession. The second is the labor market has been very tight and continues to be very tight in the US. And we think it's unlikely that the labor market can loosen in a manner that doesn't cause higher unemployment. And then the final is that policy has been tightened very significantly through 2022. Um, and we think that given the long and bearable lags with which that actually feeds into the real economy, we won't be seeing the kind of true tightening in the economy off the back of that tightening in policy until the middle of next year. That said, though, we have seen consumers um, you know, holding up fairly well in the US economy. Consumption has been fairly resilient, and that's due to the kind of the strong buffer of excess savings that's been built up through the pandemic, both through kind of fiscal support, but also just through um, consumption being kind of curtailed by pandemic-related restrictions. The question that's, that's kind of key in terms of the recession timing, then, is how quickly those um, savings are depleted. We have seen savings rate de rates decline to the kind of lowest on record at 2.3% in the latest data. And so we think those are being run down fairly quickly by US consumers. We're also seeing that other interest rate sensitive sectors such as housing are already weakening. And our recession models suggest that the risk of a recession in the US by September next year is around 60%. Therefore, we think the Fed will likely have to pause its rate hikes in February after delivering a further 100 basis points of hikes. And we think inflation and the inflation dynamics will be key in terms of whether the Fed can pause, pause rates. In particular, we're watching wage growth, given the kind of services sector inflation that's being driven um, in the US by that kind of high wage growth. And we did see an upside surprise in that. So that does risk a higher terminal rate from the Fed. Ultimately, though, we expect a recession next year. Um, and we think that will help to wash some of the inflation pressures out of the system, um, allowing the Fed to ease rates back to support the economy. I'm Bob Gilhooley, Senior Emerging Market Economist at Aberdeen. For me, the one thing that I'm definitely going to be watching is the COVID situation in China and how the authorities manage the move towards endemic living. Certainly recently, we've had a big flurry of news on various restrictions being eased. The tone from the party has definitely shifted uh, a lot on this. And while we've not had, I guess, an official change in policy, 
do you think this adds up to a kind of de facto abandonment of the dynamic zero corporate policy? We've had rolling back of contact tracing, uh, where possible, the ending of mass testing, and lockdown should now be very much more targeted, all of which means really it's going to be near impossible to return to a strategy to eliminate uh, outbreaks given the high transmissibility uh, of Omicron. I think the interesting part of this is the timing in that it's occurring before uh, the majority of the most vulnerable section of the population, the over 80s, has had their booster shots. And indeed, about a third of the over 80s haven't even had uh, two doses uh, of the vaccines. So while I guess this implies authorities are now more willing to take a little bit more risk to get the economy moving, get it reopened. We've still got this risk of a disorderly exit from zero COVID, given the high transmissibility. Plus, given, I guess, the need to differentiate China's approach to that taken by the West, I think this means that tough restrictions are still likely to be needed to slow the spread uh, and also just you know reduce the stress uh, on the healthcare uh, systems. So I think, you know, a couple of clear implications here, uh, given what we've seen already with COVID spreading in December, potentially more restrictions being needed to slow the spread uh, in Q1, adding further disruption. This could potentially push China towards a technical, uh, technical recession. And then I guess there's just here a question of kind of lack of exposure uh, and uh, whether vaccines turn out to be subpar uh, or not within China, all of which could slow the exit uh, to make it longer and more protracted than we or the market uh, expect, uh, all of which I think could really test the market's ability to kind of appeal to light at the end of the tunnel. I'm Michael Langham, an EVM economist at the Aberdeen Research Institute. The topic I'm most focused on is the path that EM central banks and inflation next year I think it's fair to say it's going to be a tough year for EMs with a global recession and the tight Fed ECB policy stances. Broadly speaking, most EM central banks are at the stage where they're either slowing or pausing monetary tightening cycles, given the concern around uh, the growth outlook and inflation is generally peaking. So looking ahead, we think most EM central banks are either positioned in one of three buckets. They've either credibly pivoted, they you know, paused uh, their hiking cycles credibly. Um, there's also those that have less credibly pivoted, and then those that are slowing the pace of tightening, still tightening, but albeit at a slower pace. So Brazil, we would class as a credible pivoter. It's fair to say that Czech and Chile as well probably fall into that bucket. Those that hiked early and then now seeing inflation fall, the economy is also slowing. In contrast, we put Poland into the less credible bucket. Hungary is borderline as well into that camp. They're seeing their economies slow going into 2023, but we think inflation could prove to be on a more sticky path. Labour market still tight some fiscal measures in Poland ahead of elections as well, keeping inflation a bit more sticky. So pivoting, maybe putting too much faith in external drags and the lagged effect from their tightening and tackling current um, core inflationary pressures. Finally, we've got those that haven't yet got 
a handle on underlying inflation, the likes uh, of India or a lot of Asia, they're, they're going to continue hiking in line with the Fed, but should be shielded from the worst of market pressures in six to nine months, given that they're doing this tightening. The key takeaway is that divergences are going to continue to play out. Those that have credibly pivoted ahead of their oncoming recession are going to be best placed to begin monetary easing um, when the Fed does. Those that haven't yet done enough tightening could face market pressures to restart hiking cycles, given already high inflation and their delays to monetary easing. My name is Edward Blossett. Uh, I'm an emerging markets economist uh, in the Aberdeen Research Institute. And my big thing to watch for next year is developments in Russia, Ukraine. So as the war has ebbed and flowed over the course of this year, we've had murmurings of ceasefires, palace coups, detentes, and all of these, all of these rumours have, have come and gone. And so our view long-held view that the war will drag on for a prolonged period has gradually, slowly but surely, become a consensus. But as we head into next year, I think there are three things in particular that, that I think are worth watching. So the first is a likely slowdown in the pace and intensity of the conflict. We've already seen this start to happen as the winter months have, have begun. But I think the key point is that this shouldn't be interpreted as a sign that Ukraine's really impressive counteroffensive over the past six months is, is over. I think this is most likely to be just the regrouping by both sides ahead of a renewed Ukrainian counteroffensive push in the spring once weather conditions are, are better. The second thing I think to watch is what Putin's reaction to this might be. You know, we, we have seen uh, rumours of mass mobilisation, deployment of tactical nuclear weapons. These are the two options that are most likely muted. I think there are definitely strong arguments against both these, but ultimately Putin needs a win. He needs a win from the war, and that makes for very kind of fat tails in, this, in, the, in the distribution, if you like. And the final thing to watch is developments in the energy markets. So, you know, the, the EU oil embargo and the G7 oil price cap are threatening to disrupt energy markets. But so long as Russia continues to ship oil to India and China and other third countries, none of this will make a, a significant dent in Putin's ability to finance this war. And I think finally, so long as the, the, the EU is really impressively this year filled up its gas storage, which will help this winter, but ultimately... The, the block faces a multi-year adjustment to wean, to wean itself off of, off of Russian gas. So I'm Sri Kochigovindan, research economist at Aberdeen. And one of the biggest things that I'll be watching over the course of 2023 is really going to be about labour markets, the key indicators there. And that's critical for the outlook for inflation for 2023. Um, so we've seen probably seen the peak of inflation for many countries, that's probably behind us now. And we expect um, headline inflation to start easing off next year. Um, the, but there are some risks that inflation may not decelerate as quickly as markets are expecting at the moment. So if we start with commodity outlook, the base effects there, even with supply constraints, if we have demand destruction and a recession, 
then the outlook is really for lower prices across commodities, in particular in, in, in oil, in energy prices. So we expect the base effects to be quite negative for, and drag down headline inflation for many countries next year. Moving on to supply chains, we expect some of the disruptions to persist, but they are definitely improving quite markedly. And we expect them to continue to repair and they seem to be moving in the right direction. So freight costs are down, semiconductor production is, is improving and you know, the intermediate inputs are now available uh, across the supply chain. So that's all moving in the right direction. Core goods prices have already started to decelerate in response to that. But really where we see some of the issues are around core services and we expect, and that's already remaining quite elevated, still quite persistent there. And really it's the tight labor markets that are the issue and those are the key factors to be watching going forward. So we do think there is a risk that inflation could be quite sticky. And that's a scenario we've been considering where inflation slows more gradually. And the risk there is that inflation expectations start to become more backward looking and at the moment, um, inflation expectations are quite stable. So there's a lot of faith in the ability of central banks to actually bring inflation down and meet targets. But the longer we have persistent and high inflation, the greater the risk that households and firms start to look backwards in order to set their, um, set in, and start changing their behavior. So there is a risk that inflation expectations can become unanchored. And the heart of that really is the service core service prices and the labor market, what happens with wage pressures and what happens with key labor market indicators. And that's really the focus going forward. It's gonna be quite important in terms of setting how much economic pain there might be and how aggressive policy tightening may need to be in response in order to tame inflation. My name is Luke Bartholomew and I'm a senior economist at Aberdeen. And one of the biggest things that I'll be looking at 2023 is the evolution of the monetary policy path and the reason i say evolution is because i think there will be three distinct phases of policy next year at the start of the year most major central banks are likely to still be in that tightening cycle we've seen over the last year with further rate increases from the fed in the us the bank of england and the european central bank and if anything the risks are skewed there to rates going slightly higher than we forecast. And that would partly be because the economy proves to be a bit more resilient in the near term and falls into recession a bit later. And that gives the central banks time to push through some further rate increases. But once the recession does start, we then see rates peaking and staying at this terminal level for some time. Now, normally, once a recession starts, central banks start cutting rates quite promptly. But we don't see this this time because Today, sort of the sticky inflation is likely to mean that it takes some time before central banks feel that they have credibly got on top of the inflation problem and can start cutting. So even as we're in recession, we see rates sort of sticking at this elevated level for some time. But then finally, once cutting cycle does begin in the back end of 2023, as inflation comes down, we see quite an aggressive cutting cycle. We see rates getting back towards the effective lower bound in a number of countries. And that seems like an extremely long way from where we are right now. But we think it is the most likely path if we're right about what unemployment and inflation is likely to do. Fundamentally, central banks do have to ease interest rates quite significantly in a recession. 
There was a lot of literature after the global financial crisis suggesting that zero lower bound episodes were going to be a recurring feature of the macro economy, partly because sort of the natural rate of interest is much lower and therefore sort of it takes more interest rate cuts to stimulate the economy in the way that's necessary. Now, if inflation were to prove a bit stickier than we're forecasting, then it's entirely plausible that rates don't get quite back to that zero lower bound. But nonetheless, either way, it's hard to see how a significant cutting cycle that is beyond what the market is pricing at the moment doesn't happen if we are right about this recession. So I'm Jeremy Lawson, and I'm the chief economist and head of the Aberdeen Research Institute. Uh, what you've heard so far is that 2023 uh, is likely to be a very challenging year from a macroeconomic and policy perspective. So what I'm really focused on is then how this plays out in markets. 2022 is a year in which almost all asset classes underperformed cash, uh, in some cases by much larger amounts than normal. Certainly that was the case in bonds. Uh, and so in many outlooks, 2023 is being set up as a year, well, it's not common that you have both asset classes underperform cash two years in a, in a row, so might 2023 be a positive year for returns? So I think our fundamental view is that that's actually pretty unlikely. Um, so for a start, the monetary policy cycle that my colleague Luke talked about is not in the price of assets and in the price of bonds today. So we think that policy rates will fall quite substantially eventually after a recession. But if you look at bond yields, they're effectively pricing uh, that policy rates will just sort of fall back to long-term neutral levels, that there really isn't a need for a very aggressive monetary policy cycle. So we think that's pretty unlikely in a recession. It's one of the reasons why bonds have the potential to be one of the best performing assets uh, in 2023. Um, on the other hand, uh, we uh, very clearly see that the corporate profit recession that would accompany a global recession is also not priced in. And sometimes this might seem odd. Right? Aren't equities down a lot? Doesn't that mean that they're pricing in a very bad outlook? Well, no, most of that is just re-rating and derating associated with the oscillation of government bond yields. When you look through that, um, the market is still expecting modest positive corporate profit growth in 2023. And so what's likely to occur, we think, if we're right in our recession forecast, is that is that equity prices and credit spreads um, will both deteriorate next year as the recession we're forecasting has to be properly reflected in prices. Fascinating the set of quick fire views for 2023 there. I'm sure we have quite the year in store for us. Thank you to you for listening to Macrobytes over the course of this year. If you've been enjoying the show, please like and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. We will see you in 2023. Goodbye and good luck out there. This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is provided for informational purposes only and should not be considered as an offer, investment recommendation or solicitation to deal in any of the investments or products mentioned herein. 
and does not constitute investment research. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Aberdeen. The companies discussed in this podcast have been selected for illustrative purposes only or to demonstrate our investment management style and not as an investment recommendation or indication of their future performance. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up and investors may get back less than the amount invested. Past performance is not a guide to future returns, return projections or estimates and provide no guarantee of future results.